Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we discuss issues affecting the industry we all love, that we work in, that we most of us grew up in, the industry that is food, fuel, fiber, and farming. Today, a hot topic, and I know you're going to love it because we're talking about agricultural trade, tariffs, Trump, everything that's in the headlines right now and might be another year from now. Agriculture is very nervous right now. We're nervous, and I've, if you listen to my podcast, folks, you know what I always say. This industry runs for the exit streaming fire faster than most industries. Man, we had two bad years, downturns in crops, and then every chemical and fertilizer and seed company runs around trying to merge. Well, now it is with trade. I hear it all the time. People, what's going to happen with trade? What's going to happen with trade? So I've got a guy that's probably the foremost expert on this. His name is Jim Wiesemeyer. You may have heard him on AgriTalk twice per week on Rural Radio. You also might know him from Pro Farmer, where he is a policy analyst. He pins articles and his analysis of agricultural trade, uh, Washington, D.C., policy. That's what he does. So Jim Wiesmeyer is here with me. We're going to talk about trade. We're going to talk about people that are going to be affected by this. If we're going to be affected by it, how bad they're going to be affected by it, what we can do about it. Mr. Jim Wiesmeyer, welcome to the show. Always good to be on, Damien. Mr. Wiesmeyer and I have a little bit of history, dear listener. Uh, I reached out to him because I thought who would be a good person to talk about trade and I, I told him who I was, and he said, I know who you are. We've done events together, and that's how this thing works. I go around and speak at agricultural business functions all over North America. So does Jim Wiesemeyer. He's got uh, a history. We passed paths and cross paths a sugar event. That's right. We know sugar. And we, uh, we, we see each other around once in a while. So if you are looking for a speaker that can talk about policy, talk about the status of trade or the rumblings in Washington, D.C., you can find him at profarmer.com. And I'm sure you could just do a little on Jim Wiesemeyer. All right. We talked about the topic. Mr. Wiesemeyer, before I go any further, is there anything else you want to tell me about you? No, not really. I've been uh, covering the business of agriculture, a phrase you like as well, and I agree with that, for uh, just a little over 40 years, uh, from a beat reporter days to uh, now uh, analytical. Think about this, ladies and gentlemen. You've got a guy that for 40, from southern Illinois, he's an ag guy, and he went to D.C., and there he is out there just outside of the swamp. But he's keeping his finger on the pulse of what happens just outside of the swamp. He's just close enough to it to understand it without getting completely sucked into it. Um, all right. We know about you. We know the issue. It's hotter than heck right now. Everybody's concerned about trade. Agriculture is one of the few industries with positive trade balance. With most of these countries, we sell more trade, we sell more agricultural goods than we buy. That's not the case with steel. It's not the case with uh, cars, let's say. It's not the case with electronics by any stretch. Expand on that. What, what do we got going on in ag trade as a country? Well, uh, agricultural trade policy now is literally up in the air. Uh, very little strategy, some people say. Uh, it's high risk, 
but potentially uh, high returns if President Trump uh, you know, gets what he wants. Bottom line, why farmers and ranchers are so nervous about trade policy right now is they don't see the end zone right now. They see President Trump on his third day in office withdrawing from the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which I think was a strategic mistake. It took seven years to negotiate it. Uh, they see him getting very aggressive, sometimes for good reasons, against uh, you know China relative to their thievery of intellectual property, but on the other side, protecting uh, the steel and, and aluminum industries. And what agriculture fears is what has usually happened in the past in the retaliation phase, they typically come after uh, agriculture, which is more important now, Damien, because we have rising carryover for a number of major crops, and the meat sector is also usually retaliated against, and frequently that's the difference between profit and loss in, in any one year is uh, on the trade front. You mentioned TPP. If you're listening to this show and you are a regular here on the business of agriculture, you probably are savvy. You probably are knowledgeable. You already probably know that was the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I would point out that whoever got elected, that deal was going to not happen. Uh, Hillary was already uh, uh, against it six months before the election. Trump was against it. You say it was a strategic mistake because we were seven years into the negotiation. The reason for getting out of Trans-Pacific Partnership that was given, the reason that was given, Jim, was that it was uh, with 14 countries, 13 countries, and we, Trump said, I would rather have unilateral deals, straight deals versus these big uh, conglomerated deals. What's your thought? And he's right in theory. But again, you can always go after you joined the uh, you know 12 nation at the time TPP. Uh, but uh, he he did away with that, and they still have not announced a one-on-one -on -one trade negotiation with a new. Uh, country. Uh, so this is adding to more uncertainty. From a geopolitical perspective, if you're trying to contain, if you will, if that's the right word, China, the worst thing you could have done is withdraw from the TPP. Again, in theory, I think he's right. Definitely, you get a better negotiating strategy one-on-one. -on -one. But you can always go above and beyond that once you're in the overall framework called the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And there were some pluses in that relative to the meat sector. They, they yeah. gained some more market access. Uh, there was some trade enforcement mechanisms that we don't even have in current trade agreements, Damon. So when you do the analysts here, China, uh, I talked about this before on this show. Last I looked, it's about a 350 to 380 billion dollar deficit of all goods, not just not just agricultural. So we're sitting there at say 360, 380, whatever that number is. It's real close to that uh, on trade deficit with China. So I said it's not bad when you look at the intellectual property theft and you look at the, uh, the amount of trade imbalance. It's not bad for us to flex our muscle because we have been absolutely kowtowing to them. Is it going to work? Uh, I think it will. Uh, again, high risk. Uh, China, uh, when they came out late last week and announced a twofold calibrated step of 15% uh, tariffs on, on some you know, you know, commodities, and in particular, you know, California is uh, upset because it included wine and, and nuts and fruit, and those are two huge areas for you know, California exports, but 25% for 
to come, and that included pork. Now, that raised high anxiety because of the growing market of U.S. pork exports into China. But we have an agricultural trade surplus overall, as you indicated, but especially with China, because they, they purchase about 60% of all soybean, U.S. soybeans exported. That is a huge market for that. So about that's why 50, China is important. About 60% of U.S. soybean exports go yes. just to China. And by the way, you know, I've got a degree in agricultural economics. You've been around for 40 years covering this. To the person that's listening to this show that maybe says, hey, wait a minute, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I want to keep up. I, I want to be knowledgeable, but you're talking a little over my head. We welcome everybody here to the business of agriculture. Trade deficits, trade surpluses, real simply, what that means is the amount of stuff we send to them and the amount of stuff they send to us that we buy. So it's just a matter of, if you buy a dollar of my stuff and I buy a dollar of your stuff, no. So that's where we are on this. We've had trade deficits before because we're such a roaring economy and yes. other countries can make jeans, t-shirts, uh, electronics were the big one in the 70s and 80s. Japan yes. really ran with that. And all of a sudden, you couldn't get a TV that was made in the United States of America. Area in Indiana, not too far from my hometown. They used to make RCA televisions. It doesn't happen anymore. So we've seen this before, but never to this level, never to this amount of imbalance. Is this the first, the highest amount of imbalance we've ever had? Probably so, yes, I would say, and especially China with the gaping, you know, uh, uh, you know, deficit. It's because they have a huge rising middle class, not anywhere near us on a nominal basis, but they're getting close to us on, on the numbers. Where I think Trump is uh, emphasized, not may, he is emphasizing too much is the individual trade gaps that we have with, uh, you know, certain countries. That's not necessarily a negative, because if you have the number of, of you know, middle-class citizens in the United States that we have, they want to purchase goods at the cheapest possible price, as long as it's not dumped, uh, unfairly traded. So you, you're always going to have a developed country, usually in history, shows that you have a, a trade uh, deficit. Inherently, that's not a negative. Trump has turned that topsy-turvy and Every country, no matter who it is, he points out the trade gap. He wants us to be positive on almost every country. That just doesn't, that, that's illogical. Yeah, that part's not going to happen. I think that's a little bit of posturing. Incidentally, in case you're sitting there saying, all right, well, why is it good that we do? It's not necessarily good. It's just what it is. It's the economics of the situation yes. that we buy more than they buy from us because in China's case, they can make stuff, they can make cheap crap and we buy it up from a rubber ball for your child to play with in the backyard to my wife's cooking griddle. Good example. Yeah. My wife's birthday is in March. She loves pancakes. So we needed one of those griddles. The simple kind you plug into the wall and turn a little dial on. It was $19.99, $19.99 for a Hamilton Beach, Dr. Silex, uh, griddle. I was a little kid. We didn't have a griddle because it was almost an extravagance to have such a thing in your kitchen. They cost more than $20 40 years ago than they do now. Why? Because of China's manufacturing and commoditization of those products. So yes. we do benefit. We in agriculture also benefit. Let's talk one last thing about trade before we move on. Jim Weissmeyer is my guest. He's with Pro Farmer. He's a regular on Farm Journal's AgriTalk. He's a policy analyst in D.C. Listen to the business of agriculture, and we're going to talk about one more biggie. 
NAFTA, Mexico, Canada. Jim, Mexico has a $60 billion trade surplus against us, meaning, again, we buy $60 billion more of Mexican stuff than they buy from us. But when it comes to ag and food, they buy the crap out of our poultry and our corn. What's yes. going to happen? Uh, eventually, I think you will have uh, an agreement. We have an integrated North America you know, market uh, where efficiencies have been garnered over the 24 years we've had NAFTA. Is it perfect? No, and, and something 23 years old, especially a college kid, needs improvement, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this one uh, does. But for, for anyone to say, and Trump has said this, uh, that NAFTA was the first worst trade agreement ever, don't tell that to a farmer and rancher in most states. Now, fruits and vegetables can get you some, you know, quibbles on that. But in the meat sector, in the corn, soybeans, dry edible beans, etc., uh, it's been a success. The numbers and charts clearly show that. I don't know that a lot of our listeners would know this also. Canada is, you hear all about China. Canada is our number one agricultural trade partner. We sell more to Canada out of ag than any, maybe in everything, but for sure in agriculture. Right? Absolutely. And when you count services, now this gets into the battle between Trump and, and, and Trudeau, the leader of Canada. They, we actually have a surplus with Canada if you include the services, but it's very close to a you know, trade relationship. Now, when you get into individual aspects, such as uh, Canadian dairy, very much protected. They have, you know, uh, supply management, it gets into emotionality, and that's trade policy. It's, it doesn't have to make sense, but when you have sensitive commodities in an individual country, both the U.S., uh, Canada, Japan, South Korea, etc., it doesn't have to make sense. It's th those uh, you know trade-offs that you find in any trade agreement. By the way, I have a lot of Canada fans, and some of them listen to the Business of Agriculture podcast. For you, my Canadian friends, we love you, we adore you, and uh, yes, you do You do have some protectionisms in place that you've had for a long time, leather, milk, etc. I do got to say, if it ever came down to a scrapping match between Trump and Trudeau, I got to put money on the developer from New York because that Trudeau guy, when I saw the pictures of him in India uh, playing dress up and costume, it reminded me of a little rich kid that was trying out Halloween costumes. We, we have a, sh uh, a Canadian broadcaster, a very good guy, Sean Haney. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got his ag broadcasting network in Canada. He's on AgriTalk every Friday. So we wanted to bring a Canadian perspective in on AgriTalk, and you should have him on your program. He's a hoot. All right. Let's move on now. Uh, it's my belief that we, the agricultural industry, worries more than it warrants. I say this all the time. I don't think we should be panicked about what's going on with trade. Jim Wiesmeyer, should we panic? Not, you should never panic. But in the case of trade, you should probably have a bag and put it over your head for oxygen a little bit because we need some uh, air here because of the importance of uh, trade. As I said before, when your carryovers are going uh, sky high for corn and soybeans, my goodness, and, and we're going to have more uh, acres, we're going to see more plantings in, in the Thursday prospective, uh, prospective plantings report from USDA, you got to get rid of the stuff. So that means trade is important. Now, I will give you one line that I've learned uh, from Trump, uh, about Trump, uh, that won't change. And a lot of things have changed with him. His bark is a lot worse than the bite. 
So if you read his book, you know, uh, he's following it almost page by page, the art of the deal. Uh, so he gets extremely aggressive in the, in, the in the initial stages of the trade policy debates. And we've seen it in almost every country, NAFTA, TPP, South Korea. They're going to announce an agreement later this week on an updated South Korea agreement. But agriculture, I will agree with you, they're, they're more than worry warts. Uh, they come unglued. But, but uh, on the farm bill, on when prices go down a little bit, on uh, energy, renewable fuel standard, et cetera. But in the trade arena, I would say I would probably side with them because the fear is that agriculture will be used as collateral in order to get other things in the financial area, in the semiconductors, et cetera. And you're beginning to see that in the South Korea agreement where uh, 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 you know South Korea was successful in keeping agriculture out of those negotiations so agriculture's got more to fear in the days ahead okay I'm glad you agreed that we're worry wars and I, I think that there's jokes that are I'm 48 and I've been around you ag people my whole life and there are jokes about the farmer uh, there's the one that's a little PG 13 that the farmer goes to the house of ill repute shall we say and has so many complaints it's too much this it's too it's always and you know it's not just the farmers it's the entire industry because that's where we all came from and we know farming is square one uh, we we, it's it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too wet. It's too dry. It's too this. It's too that. So yeah, I'd say that it's maybe more than worry ward. It's just flat out bitching. You like to do it. okay? All right, let's let's go ahead and be real straight here. Business is business, and this is after all the business of agriculture podcast. So bitching aside, let's talk about the business. I think the world caught up. Uh, I've been saying this for a long time. When I was a kid, we we saw this for the first time starting in the 70s when we went through our glut. You know, Earl Butts said, plant from fence row to fence row. We did better than that. Hell, we bulldozed the fence rows, and we even planted right over the fence rows. We really produced the heck out of product. Yeah, I covered Earl Butts as a reporter. I remember he paraphrased that by saying, well, I didn't say plant fence row to fence row. The markets did. Well, markets are fickle, as we all know, and your listeners know. Uh, in the case of other countries have caught up, uh, a mega change that I've seen many mega changes in my 40 years, but one of them is remember the then Soviet Union when they came in in the 70s, the great American grain robbery and bought a lot so much wheat and corn that we had to limit the amount of those crops that we could sell them. Then the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, and I learned again from history. I was a history major actually in college. Uh, Black Earth uh, plus investment plus freedom equals production. And you saw that in Russia and the real breadbasket of Europe, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Ukraine. et cetera. And now Russia, remember when I said the 70s, they bought so much wheat and corn from us. This past year, they were the world's largest wheat exporter. If that's not a mega change, I don't know what one is. And you, it's because of capitalism and obviously rapidly evolving technology. And then let's not also forget that once people start eating better, they don't like eating worse. And no. you can say better. I'm not talking about in organic kumquats versus Snickers bars. I'm saying more of it, more caloric intake. Russia started eating better, having more variety. All of Eastern Europe, all of China now, obviously the same story. And Absolutely. So answer, there's going to be more production. I, gave the, I, I made a mistake with my cat. I started him out on cream. 
he, he doesn't take <laughs> milk. He just walks away. Yeah, you, you got him spoiled, and that happens for all of us. So, yeah, the world caught up. And so I'm going to make the point that you know why China can get, shall we say, bristly? You know why China can get pushy? They have 20% of the world's population. They know that they have a number two global economy, and there's not a lot of risk to their threats because in the old days, they maybe needed our soybeans because there was no other soybeans anywhere else. But now there's soybeans from Argentina, there's soybeans from Brazil, there's soybeans from Kazakhstan, there's soybeans from Ukraine, there's soybeans. The point is, the world has changed, like it or not, and Jim Wiesmeyer just pointed out, mega changes. So I think China is going to continue to play hard, but they've played hard and we have kowtowed so much. I've been saying that I don't think this is terrible that we're taking some stances on this. Where do you see the, the argument ending up, Mr. Wiesmeyer? I think Trump has scored one on China. I think that was his real uh, 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 you know, game plan all along. And this is where he's right, especially when you get into the intellectual property theft. Uh, other nations are, are saying yes. Now, but they've been saying that for years. Trump is the only president that I've reported on that really is trying to take them on. And, and, I, and I, from what you're hearing from Chinese uh, officials at the highest level is that they're willing to uh, talk and China is the Amazon and the Walmart of nations. And that's why, yeah, they know they're going to be the economic powerhouse in, in what, 20 years or so. Uh, it's not bad being number two. We, we had a good run here as a country. Being number two isn't a sin. Well, uh, I just, I'm still patriotic enough. I'd like us to retain our number one <laughs> slot. And I know that the numbers are against this population. But I think that if we allow the innovation and the expansion uh, we'll probably be okay on that. What's our competitive advantage? North America, talking even about our friends in Canada, uh, what are we really darn good at? Because, you know, soybeans are soybeans. What are we really yeah. good? Well, pr the, uh, well, number one in the agriculture and food safety. We put a lot of money in that and it, and it worked, you know, for, for you know, food safety. Our soils uh, are, are very good. And now we're taking efforts to maintain that, that, that soil profile. Three is our infrastructure. However, it needs billions of dollars of reinvestment and repairs. It's still a competitive advantage with our river systems, our, our railroad systems, our highway system. So it's called throughput uh, infrastructure to get it to the ports. Our ports uh, are very good to handle a lot of volume you know, for, for China and other nations as the, the rise uh, uh, of the middle class. And we're very good at meat production, the efficiencies of utilizing grain for meat, and that's value added. And it puts a lot of, uh, a lot of people to work. So I think those are our competitive strengths, the productivity, the uh, uh, ag technology, uh, and, the, uh, and, and, and the throughputs. Yeah, I think that that's straight on. And if you're a listener to this show, you maybe have heard some of that before. Uh, and I want to bring back this whole thing. If they tariff our soybeans, that means they buy soybeans somewhere else. Let's not get so caught up in this. That means that then somebody else that was buying the beans from Brazil is going to need beans. 
So yeah, we, well, the, the, the China would have to go, they can't, they usually get it Brazil, Argentina, and the U.S., but they would have a hard time getting the volume in the time frame that they need those uh, soybeans for meal for their, they have so many more hogs and pigs than, than this country does. It would come at a cost to them, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, they, they, they're, they're very careful that they didn't put soybeans on their initial uh, list now i wouldn't add, then they added it and are threatening to tariff the soybeans correct oh they'll threat they'll threaten that but as a Ch chinese trader t-r-a-d-e-r -E as a good trader i wouldn't doubt that they could uh, put those threats significant threats out the market would tank in the you know the uh, the futures market and they'd probably start buying on the on the futures market because they're good traders i do not see a major uh tit for tat including a draconian measures on their part for soybeans. It would really hurt them. They're very shrewd traders. Uh, and they've got a lot of other things that they can come at us with uh, relative to uh, 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 other factors, agriculture, non-agriculture, rather than getting at, to, you know, to soybeans that they really need for consumptive purposes. Yeah, they, they, uh, they are, well, obviously they're good traders. They've uh, been taking advantage of the United States for the last 20 yeah. years since their huge rise, which I would say began in the late 90s. And yes. the other part of it is, if you're listening to the show, you're saying, what do you mean they need like soybeans? Last I saw, we, Jim and I both do speeches at ag meetings all over North America, and so pork have been a client of both of ours. Last I was told at an ag conference, China produces about five to five and a half times the amount of hogs. Yeah. By golly, we make a lot of hogs. Put that in perspective. Well, what are you going to feed all those pigs? They need corn and soybeans, particularly the soybeans. So. Uh, I don't. I don't see the global supply issue being filled by other folks. Where all of a sudden our beans and this is a lot of our ag friends they get really panicky. Your beans and corn and they're not going to just go to some some warehouse and rot. <laughs> the stuff will get sold because it's a global supply and global demand situation. It just may affect prices. We're not going to be sitting on uh, in, you know uh, piles of grain everywhere that won't get consumed. But on the meat, on the meat side, that, that is a concern for the U.S. meat exporters, both at the producer level and at the exporter level, because there is, uh, there are other countries, uh, Australia, Brazil, Argentina, uh, uh, Eastern Europe, that can supply an increased uh, share of uh, meat shipments. And the longer term concern is once you uh, either lose a market or, or get reduced uh, sales, it's very hard to get it back. We saw that relative to the mad cow disease problem. It took us 10 years to get back, uh, you know, the Japanese, uh, you know, market. Yeah, and right now we're competitively advantaged in protein and we're amazingly good at producing it. And then at the National Pork Producers Council meeting, the U.S. Meat Export Federation gentleman got up and talked about how the perception of American meat is so high that uh, bad players take our boxes that are empty and throw their crap in it to make it look as though it's U.S. product. So we do have a heck of a perception. Yeah. Moving forward, the future of American agriculture. Jim Wiesemeyer, tell me this. We got a little history, you and I talked about it. Soviet grain embargo, we've seen this before. Food and agriculture oftentimes used as a bargaining chip or a weapon. Yeah. Is it, how, how far does this go? 
Well, that's a fear. I, I, I'm not hearing embargo, but I, oh, I remember the embargo days, the Carter Grain embargo, where President Carter at the time listened to his CIA, you know, the intelligent people who weren't intelligent, mm -hmm. and he didn't listen to a guy who knew agriculture, his vice president at the time, Walter Mondale from Minnesota. He tried to tell him that it wouldn't work. The reason it didn't work if you recall, the then Soviet Union had the, uh, had the Olympics that year, and the CIA thought that we would have them on their knees. All the Soviet Union did at that time was liquidate, start liquidating their cattle and hog industries. That was their grain reserve. We learned that, that livestock is a grain reserve for countries. So if you want to target them, you better count the number of animals that they have because they'll liquidate them. And that was devastating to not only U.S. exporters, but a, a many, way too many, you know, farmers, uh, soybeans, uh, corn, wheat, etc. Embargoes just don't work. Now, I'm not see, hearing any sense of embargoes, but you can uh, disrupt the uh, marketing channels of, uh, as I said, in the meat sector, and you can get other countries to produce more to serve as an offset for, for, for the United States. I think that's one that's going to be one of the long-term repercussions of Trump's initial trade policy, that inciting others to produce more, and we're going to have more export competition on a host of commodities. We're going to have more competition, but I don't know that this trade rumbling had anything to do with that. Again, the world has gotten better fed, uh, increasingly hungrier, but not hungrier uh, as in they're starving, hungrier for new stuff, hungry for more of it. And I think we we're going to have the uh, global supply was going to continue to be satisfied whether we had uh, a stick fight with China or not. You? I, I agree, but the, ri the rise of the, you know, the, um, rise of the rest, if you will, the growing middle class, that still bodes well for the for most of the most of the efficient people in US agriculture, be they in the meat sector, or the grain sector. I, I in my speeches, I say you're, you're going to continue to be in one of the biggest growth industries uh, in, in your lifetime. But even uh, though, that doesn't mean a bull market every year as we've seen. Yeah, even though Uzbekistan learned how to grow some wheat, it doesn't mean that they're going to make it so that we have no need for the meat, is what you're saying, because we do have increased consumption. Although, yes. I do believe, uh, whether we whether we have these trade uh, fights or not, they're going to continue to grow wheat in Kazakhstan because they have figured out that they can make some money by doing Yeah, so. never, never be afraid of competition, one-up them. Where do we go from here? Uh, well, we, we need some more uh, uh, balance and we need more certainty. Markets don't like uncertainty. And right now in Trump's uh, trade uh, strategy, it's uncertainty. And, and he understands that. Uh, Bob Lighthizer is the U.S. trade representative. I, I know I've talked to him and his people. And I said, you know, some people charge that you're protectionist. And he said, no, we're just protecting. There's a difference between protectionist and protecting. This is classic Trump 101. He's had enough of this. He's had enough of countries. Uh, he gives the example in China, where any Tesla car that goes in there it has a 25% tariff. Their cars into here, 2.5%. Those points are important. So, yeah. and he, he runs the game. He's just tired of it. So he's got the fear out there where other countries won't say it publicly, but they're going to have to sit down and try to get hopefully more, uh, again, to use a Trump phrase, reciprocal 
All he wants is reciprocal trade relationships. And in theory, I, I think he's correct in that environment. But getting to that point is high anxiety because of the concerns about agriculture. Other countries are inking new trade agreements, the European Union, Japan, China, and we have not announced one new trade agreement since Trump has come into office. There's reasons for that. One, he didn't have the people in place. Now he's just first starting to have the people. But there's your concern, and I think heartfelt and accurate concern, but I think this too shall pass. Give it time. Yeah, I think that's the answer also. I've been telling my ag people, stop festering. We're going to be fine. And it, and a better deal does need to be struck. Uh, yes. it, uh, otherwise, we're going to What's happened in the last 20 years just between us and China is going to look like child's play in the next 20 if we continue to get railroaded and the intellectual property is a much bigger deal. You're a smart guy. You are in this industry. I'm talking to Jim Wiesmeyer, pro farmer, contributor, farm journal, agri-talk guest, policy analyst out in Washington, D.C. This is agriculture, of course. Mr. Wiesmeyer, before you go, one lesson, one thought, one idea anybody in the business of agriculture should take with them here. What do you got? Marketing. Any producer should know their uh, cost of production on a daily basis, if not hourly. And when they get a price either for things they buy or sell, and if it's at a profitable uh, you know, point, sell some. You can't go bankrupt making money. And if it goes higher, sell some more. Uh, it's marketing 101. You'll be a survivor in this environment where you'll get your good years, but it'll make you survive in the down years. You can't go broke when you're making money. That's as simple as it gets. Marketing, know your cost of production, and sell when you are in the positive. Good thoughts. Jim Wiesemeyer, thank you for joining me here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. Listeners, thank you for joining me. We talked about trade, tariffs, Trump, talked about competitive advantage, talked about NAFTA, talked about TPP, of course, China the biggie. We covered it. We'll do it again next time. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Jim, thank you. Thank you.